When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode of Red or Dead is sponsored by Book Riot Insiders. Struggling to keep up with the latest releases? Want to keep an eye on what's coming out in the next few months for work or for your own personal pre-ordering needs? If you need help turbocharging your TBR, Book Riot Insiders is here for you. Our new release index, available at the novel level for just $5 a month, is curated by resident reader Liberty Hardy from the All the Books podcast. She keeps track of the most exciting books, pre-publication so that you can browse them, know when your favorite author's new novel is out, and find your next favorite read. You can go to insiders.bookriot.com to sign up. Welcome to Red or Dead, a bi-weekly podcast where we talk about the world of mysteries and thrillers. This is episode 48, and we are recording on Tuesday, March 26th. I'm Katie McLean Horner, along with Rinsey Abraham, and we're coming to you from Book Riot. Hi, Katie. Hi, Rinsey. How are you? I'm good. I'm kind of tired today, so I apologize in advance for the way I speak. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like every episode should come with that preemptive apology for bo- from both of us. <laughs> I mean, most of the time, I feel like it can hold it together pretty well, although I feel like sometimes you can tell by the end of the episode I'm getting kind of tired. <laughs> Start getting a little punchy. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's that's okay. I, ha- I had a little bit of caffeine with dinner, so <laughs> this this might be real interesting. <laughs> <laughs> we'll balance each other out. There you go. Yeah, I'll, uh, if, if you go quiet, I'll, I'll, I'll wake you up on, on, on my end. <laughs> Or we'll just bring, you know, something for everybody. If you want something more chill, I got that energy today. If you need something more high energy, Katie's got you. And I'll probably have that for the rest of the evening. I don't know why I drank caffeine late at night. This is a bad idea. I'm the type of person where I legitimately can't have caffeine after like 3 p.m. Yes, me too. I thought I was the only one. No, I'm like, granted, this was tea. And so I'm like, okay, I don't know if that's enough caffeine to keep me wired till like three in the morning. It may be. We will find out. Um, but yeah, I was, I, I picked up dinner for Blaine and me and I, and I didn't know what I wanted to drink and Panera has really good iced tea. So they do. Uh, so that's my story. Um, <laughs> so we'll see how the rest of the evening goes. I'm Blaine might just try to send me to bed early because I'll just be sitting next to him. Just kind of poking him, poking him in the head. <laughs> like a cat. Yeah, which honestly, to be fair, he does to me all the time. So I feel like if that is what happens, he had it coming. (laughs) (laughs) So with that, welcome to Red or Dead. Welcome to our new listeners, our old listeners, our semi-new, not-quite-so-old listeners. Um, We talk about mysteries and suspense and thrillers and true crime and apparently our caffeine intake uh, tolerances. Um, so we're gonna spend the rest of the episode talking about, uh, about mysteries and suspense. Um, we've got, uh, we've actually got an interesting discussion queued up for today. Um, but first, as always, we will put out a, a call for questions, suggestions, ideas, and whatnot from our listeners. 
And we, as we always mentioned, we love hearing from hearing from you guys. You guys have really great ideas and suggestions for topics to talk about in other episodes. And um, so we'll have our contact information at the end of the show. So make sure to take a note of that and let us know if there's something that you've been uh, interested to learn more about, a news item that came up that you thought was really interesting, um, just, you know, an ad- adaptation that that's coming out that, that you're interested to hear us talk about more, you know, all that, all that fun stuff. Um, we really enjoy hearing the ideas. We try to get to as many of them as we can. It really helps us plan out future episodes, and we are very appreciative to everyone who has written, uh, who has written into us. You guys have had some fantastic suggestions. And with that, um, I'll go ahead and uh, jump into our usual news segment. Um, so we've got a couple of adaptation uh, news items coming up, but one of them that I wanted to talk about is there is going to be a, um, right now there's a TV series um, with Oscar, uh, Oscar-winning screenwriter Steve Zalian. I think is how you pronounce his name. Um, but he is planning to write and direct a TV series that focuses on Tom Ripley, uh, from the Patricia Highsmith novel, The Talented Mr. Ripley. We don't have any casting news about who might play Tom Ripley, but they believe that this is that, uh, if the show will use, uh, five novels written by Patricia Highsmith. So starting with The Talented, uh, Mr. Ripley, I just realized that the article has a typo in it. It says the talented Mrs. Ripley. Oh my gosh, I I would watch that. Actually, you know what? I totally would too. Okay, anyone's listening, if you can make a talented Mrs. Ripley, we will watch that. We will watch the hell out of that. Yeah, so they're going to use um, the five novel, Patricia Highsmith novels uh, in the Ripley series as a roadmap to show Ripley's progression from con artist to serial killer, which is... I read The Talented Mr. Ripley. It wasn't my favorite book, but I do love a good con man to serial killer arc. <laughs> I don't know what that says about me, but um, but that is in the works. And as more information comes out, we will uh, we will keep you informed. But that's an interesting one to have on your radar. And then I was really excited to read about this. I think last it was either last week or this week. I don't know. <laughs> it was in the last couple of weeks. We didn't talk about it last time. Um, but a little while ago, we did an episode on on Own Voices um, Native American mystery writers and mentioning the fact that there are not a ton of uh, there are not a ton of Native American authors who are writing mystery novels or who are being published. Um, but we have a new book that you can add to your radar. It's called Winter Counts by David Heska Wanbley Wyden or Wyden. It is an own voices Native American thriller. Um, the, I just have a really short synopsis of it. Um, it says it's about a local Native American enforcer on the Rosebud Indian Reservation who becomes obsessed with finding and stopping the dealer who is bringing increasingly dangerous drugs into his community. So we, well, I am super excited for this. I think this is going to be a really cool. Um, this is going to be a really cool novel. Um, like I like I said, own voices Native American thriller. I know a lot of a lot of people would who listen to the show would be really interested in that. So um, I I think it's just been picked up. Let's see. Yeah, it just says it's coming soon from Echo Books uh, or from Echo, uh, the publishing company. 
Um, so I don't have a release date for it yet, but keep that on your radar. As soon as we do have a release date for that, we will, uh, we will give everyone a heads up because this sounds really, really cool. Yeah. And a fun little detail is that it's a two book deal. So oh, there'll definitely yes. be more than one. Awesome. So yes, two book deal. So we only know information about the first one, but yes, two book deal. Very exciting. Yeah, definitely very excited for that. For more sort of adaptation news, uh, first up, I have uh, that Damien Power has been attached to direct an adaptation, a film adaptation of the book No Exit by Taylor Adams. So this is a relatively new thriller. Um, It says in the article that it was published in 2017, but I'm pretty sure it just came out here in the U.S., Two months ago. Yeah. Okay. That's what I thought too. I was like, am I, am I misremembering that? Okay. So anyways, uh, yeah, the book just came out here in the US, but it probably was released in like the UK or something like that in 2017. Um, and so this is going to be adapted. Um, Damien Power made his directorial debut with uh, the film Killing Ground, which premiered at Sundance in 2017. Um, and that was a thriller as well. So he has experience doing it. Um, if you aren't aware, No Exit is a story where these strangers get stranded at a rest stop because there's like a blizzard happening and one of the main characters like goes out to her car and realizes that there is a kidnapped girl in someone else's car and so basically she needs to figure out like how to get this kidnapped child out of here in the middle of this giant blizzard as well as like who did it amongst like all of the strangers who are inside the rest stop so I haven't read it yet but I've heard really good things about this one so um it'll definitely be a very intense movie that's for sure Mm mm-hmm All right. And then the other piece of news that uh, we just wanted to touch upon, because this story is just so ridiculous. Uh, Dan Mallory, a.k.a. A.J. Flynn, um, the author who was basically shown to be like a giant con man type of guy. Apparently, like one of the details in the New Yorker piece that originally came out um, is that he would pretend to be British. And apparently now he's uh, like nominated for a British Book Award. So we'll have a link. I, I mean, this is just so ridiculous. Like, clearly, they someone needs to send these people the article. Um. Yeah, I was gonna say, if you did not pick up on it, on it, he is not, in fact, British. Yeah. So um, his book, The Woman in the Window, landed on the shortlist for um, a British Book Award in the category of Crime and Thriller Book of the Year. And so I, it doesn't say in here which British Book Award it is. But like, do some basic Googling people. Like, I feel like that's the bare minimum you should do when you're nominating people for an award in order for your award not to be seen as like a complete joke. Uh, Just do a quick Google on the people that you plan on nominating and see if, you know, anything major or minor pops up. Because I feel like if you Google Dan Mallory right now, the New Yorker piece is, or people talking about the New Yorker piece is going to be like the number one hit. Uh, But I don't know, maybe that's just asking too much. I, I don't know. And I, I, I feel like in the publishing industry, at the very least, this should, like, most people, if you're in the publishing industry, you should be aware of this. The fact that this is happening after this, the, you know, like a month and a half, almost two months after the original article was published. Uh, I, I I don't even know. I don't know. <laughs> this is just like the epitome of like people having their head in the sand to like a degree. Oh, though, sorry. I'm just like clicking on a link from the Vulture article. It's literally called the British book awards. Okay. So 
It still doesn't explain why they nominated him, but that's okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I, it's very possible that they just nominate anyone who's published anything in Britain, but that feels dumb to me. But <sighs> we'll we'll look up the uh, terms and conditions for applying to, for this award. Yeah, but I mean, in general, I feel like again, just like have some sort of standard of like the type of person you want nominated for the awards that you give out. I know that this book is very popular and I'm sure that there are a lot of people who still have no idea uh, about this whole AJ Flynn, Dan Mallory thing, because like not everyone reads the New Yorker and is in the book world who reads books, but still like do a basic Google search people. Oh boy. All right. Well, with that, oh, let's go ahead and, and we'll uh, introduce our first sponsor for the episode, um, which is The Perfect Girlfriend by Karen Hamilton, which is published by Great On House Books. So this is a psychological suspense novel that I believe I think just came out today, I believe. It's it's a very recent uh, release. Um, so Juliet loves Nate. She will follow him anywhere. She's even become a flight attendant for his airline so she can keep a closer eye on him. They are meant to be. The fact that Nate broke up with her six months ago means nothing, because Juliet has a plan to win him back. She is the perfect girlfriend, and she'll make sure no one stops her from getting exactly what she wants. True love hurts, but Juliet knows it's worth all the pain. Entertainment Weekly says of The Perfect Girlfriend, this twisted page turner should appeal to fans of the Netflix series You. Um, it's a thriller for fans of uh, the, the series You, the film Fatal Attraction, um, which I I have to admit I really do enjoy that movie. The book has uh, details from the author's time when she actually worked as a flight attendant. Um, so it's lots of details about working for an airline, behind the scenes details about what it's like to work as a flight attendant. So you get kind of that little insider look, um, plus the whole domestic suspense element in there as well. So yeah, this sounds like is this is going to be a very popular thriller, very popular psychological suspense novel. So if you enjoyed the Netflix series You or the film Fatal Attraction or any other types of books along those lines, um, make sure to check out The Perfect Girlfriend by Karen Hamilton, which is published by Great On House Books. And we thank them very much for sponsoring this episode. All right. So for our main topic for this episode, we decided to talk about mysteries and thrillers uh, that feature main characters who are disabled or have some sort of like physical uh, limitation in some sort of way. Um, so the reason why we decided to cover this is there is like this kind of old blog post uh, that started making the rounds again relatively recently, like I want to say a couple of months ago, and I had originally like put it in the show notes for a potential news article to talk about, but we decided to make it an entire episode topic because why not? Um, and so I really like the fact that uh, this blog post was put together. Uh, I don't have a name of the person, but we'll definitely have a link to the full list so you guys can check it out as well. But at the beginning of the blog post, she basically just talks about how she has like put together any sort of mysteries or thrillers or anything along those lines where the main character has um, a, some sort of like mental or physical or emotional limitation that plays like a part in the series. And like when I first saw this, I know personally like, I was thinking about it and in terms of like mysteries I think the only mysteries I had read before this point that featured um a disabled characters were the JK Rowling Robert Galbraith's books. Mm -hmm. The main character in there yeah has is an amputee and 
that I one of the things I always liked about that series is the fact that they had that aspect as part of the character and it like plays a part in the stories like there are times where he's tired um, because he's been on his legs all day and there are points where like he can't do as much physically um, and but it's not so much of a fact that it like hurts him as a detective but there are certain physical limitations to what he can do and that plays a part in the story and so it just talks about it in a very like honest way um, so I thought that the fact that this person put this list together is really fantastic. Although when you look at the list, there's definitely some like biases in terms of like the types of limitations that are featured, as well as like one of the things I notice is that I think at least half, if not more, of the characters that are featured on here got injured in a war. <laughs> and a lot of these are like historical um, mysteries as well. So they're like people who are in like World War One and World War Two and were um, injured in some sort of way there. Um, and I feel like that's just like extremely common in these sort of mystery stories. But yeah, I don't know. Kitty, what's your experience sort of with this topic? Well, you you exactly summarized it. Um, the Robert Galbraith novels, I think. Um, oh, um, I did read the first book in the uh, Lincoln Rhyme series by Jeffrey Deaver, The Bone Collector. Lincoln Rhyme is quadriplegic, so I have I have read that one, and I've I've it's been a while since I've read it, but I I did very much enjoy that one. Oh, and and then um, since this topic also covers um, uh, physical disabilities or limitations, but also mental or emotional, psychological. Um, Monk jumps to mind. <laughs> he has um, the character Monk, if you've seen the TV show or read any of the books, he has fairly debilitating um, obsessive compulsive disorder. So I am I am somewhat familiar with that. But yeah, it's a it's a tricky I think it's a, it's a tricky topic. Um, because there are well, to back up a little bit, I, I can't remember the the exact hashtag that was going around Twitter recently, but I think it was something about like hashtag Abled's are weird, and it was people who have some form of who have some type of disability, whether it's physical or mental or what what have you. Um, they're talking about the ways that um, able-bodied people talk to them, to the things they say to them, the things they do to them that are really quite horrifying, and it really just highlights the fact that. We as people, just just as a, as a group of people, do not really know how to interact respectfully with someone who has a disability. It's you know it's kind of a tricky topic because on the on the one hand, you know there there are some authors who um who are very upfront about the fact that you know if they write a disabled character, they'll they'll like if they if they themselves have that disability, sometimes they will be upfront with saying. Oh yes, it's an own vo it's an own voices story. Um, you know, this is based on my experiences, but a honest, but obviously a lot. Not everyone is comfortable saying that. So, um, and there are a lot of people who maybe are not disabled, but they, you know, they write disabled characters. So I think it's really important for the book to, or for these characters to be written well in a way that doesn't perpetuates some of these really negative stereotypes um, or doesn't perpetuate these harm these harmful interactions that people who have disabilities um, often experience when when you know just as they are existing in the world so it's it's something that it's like if you're going if you're going to do it you should you need to do it right <laughs> the other thing that I wanted to mention um, well we mentioned that the that the list is old and so 
there are plenty of um there are plenty of authors that have not um been included on this list but i did not go through the whole list because it is quite long but my 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 understanding of the list as as i was going through it a lot of the characters and the authors are white so i think that's something else to point out that while there may be a fair number of detective or mystery novels that feature disabled characters were really not getting a whole lot of intersectionality um, with characters who are um, who are people of color and disabled as well. So that's something else to point out to be just just as as something to be aware of, I guess um, that there you it you don't see a whole lot of intersectionality with that. So we can start talking about the books that we read um, for this episode. So the one that I picked up, I actually just picked up off this list. And I was just sort of like Googling random ones, um, like different uh, series and things like that, just to see which ones appealed to me and also just which ones I would have access to. Um, So the one I picked up was called Blackman's Coffin. And this is by Mark D. Kestreek. Um, And this is one that legitimately never heard of, known, knew nothing about going into it. Um, so it's always kind of nice to sort of find new and different mysteries like that and ones that I probably wouldn't have picked up otherwise. Um, so in the story, you are following this character named Sam Blackman. It's set in modern day or what is relatively modern day. I think this was published in like 2007 or something like that. Um, so around that time, um, he lost his leg while serving in Iraq. And he. the story starts off with him uh, waking up one day in a veterans hospital in Asheville, North Carolina. And um, this other ex-Marine who is also an amputee named Tamika Robertson uh, comes into his hospital room just as like to visit and to check in and to, you know, sort of cheer him up like she does hospital visits at this veterans hospital since she is um, also a veteran and an amputee and things like that. Um, So she, they talk for a little while, they really get along and she tells Sam that she might have like a job opportunity for him since obviously like he's going to uh, need to figure out what he's going to do now. Um, and so he, she like leaves a card with him and then Sam doesn't hear back from her for a while. And so she, he decides to just like pick up the phone and call the number on the card. And that's when he finds out that T- uh, Takima has been murdered. And Sam was one of the last people to speak with him, with her. Um, And so Sam ends up sort of like trying to find out a little bit of information, ends up going to the memorial service for her, things like that, um, meets her sister. And when uh, the sister finds out about Sam, she realizes that she had seen his name before because there was a note stuck to a book that said for Sam Blackman. And it's this really old journal um, from like the early 1900s that looks like a diary entry from like a 12 year old boy. And it tells this story. It seems like it's telling the story about this 12 year old boy and his family and this uh, black man named Elijah, who uh, the family helped transport one of his family members to back to Georgia. Uh, Sorry, the family uh, was like... um, helped with uh, funerals and things like that, uh, a mortuary company. And so they helped transfer this black man back to Georgia because like not a lot of other white families were willing to, or white companies were willing to do it. Um, and like tells the story. And so he, um, Takima's sister believes that this journal was the reason why, uh, she was murdered. 
And so they start to sort of look into the history of what happened in this part of Asheville and what's going on with this journal and things like that. And the story sort of progresses from there. So yeah, it's it's kind of just like your standard mystery. Like there's nothing in here that's like overly amazing, but there's nothing in here that's also like overly terrible either, which <laughs> I don't know if that's that great of a comp, but I did enjoy reading it. Um it d talks a lot about Asheville as a city itself. So you're, if you are the type of person who likes a strong setting uh, in your mysteries, then I recommend this because I believe that all of this is based on like real places in Asheville. I haven't been to Asheville myself, but based on what I've uh, found out, I think that these are all like real places. So that I found to be really cool. Obviously, um, kind of like what I was saying with the Robert Galbraith stories in this story as well, they do a really good job of sort of incorporating the disability without it being like the center of the story, but it is like a factor in the story. And they like do a good job of just like balancing the mystery aspect of it without it, again, being the point of the story itself. Um there are parts of this story that feel like really convenient, especially towards the end when you're getting uh, to like who did what and whatnot. Uh, it feels like a lot of information just like very conveniently falls into the lap of Sam and Nikaila. Uh, uh, but I mean, overall, it just is kind of like a fun, quick read. And I kind of like the fact that, again, there's a disabled character who's at the forefront of this, but his disability isn't made the point of the story it's just like a part of who he is now and he's learning to deal with that and I think again it just does a good job of like talking about the uh the disability without like being pandering or anything like that um while also like as someone who doesn't have a physical disability I feel like it's explained in a way that makes sense to me if that makes sense um so again that's Blackman's Coffin Coffin by Mark de Kestreek. I'm not sure if this is the first in a series. I can check that really. Uh, I think there's like one or two books out in this um, with this character, but I don't know if there's many more than that that's been published. I didn't like do a full good research on that. But yes, Blackman's Kaufman, if you're interested. All right. So the book that I picked um, was Blood Harvest by S.J. Bolton, although now she goes by Sharon Bolton. Um, and this, she she has a series, the Lacey Flint series, and then she also does um, a bunch of standalone novels. Um, this is one of her standalones, although I, there may be, the main character may show up in another couple of books. I've only read a couple of Sharon Bolton's books. Um, but anyway, this one, for this one, I, as is often the case, I have not finished it yet. However, I did like a marathon reading session last night and got through like pretty much half the book in a, in a solid two hours. Um, this book is creepy with a capital C and I love it to pieces. Um, so the main, the, the storyline, um, takes place in a in an old like northern england village like think old cobblestone like like old ruins of a church people have harvest festival kind of thing like old northern england and so the the story kind of follows well, it follows a a few different characters that all their their storylines are all intertwined and connected with each other. But there's a family at the center of the story um, who have just who have recently moved to town within the last definitely within the last few months. It might have been as long as a year. So the, that's the Fletcher family, and they notice after they've been there a little while, and they realize that 
that there's some weird stuff kind of happening to them. Um, there seems to be some sinister activity um, surrounding their three children. Um, Tom, who's the oldest, he's 10. Joe is his younger brother, who's six. And Millie, who is the youngest, she is two, I believe. But they spend a lot of time uh, playing outdoors, like in the woods. There's a there's like a cemetery or something behind the house, or they or there the house is built between two church buildings. One is basically in ruins, the other one is functioning. And so there's like a church graveyard that's basically on the property, and then you have the moors behind it. So you've got like creepy Northern English moors and um. Tom, the oldest, swears that he can that he can see and hear this this little girl that plays out on the moors, but it seems, but she doesn't appear to be human. That she might be a ghost or something along those lines. She kind of appears and disappears. You um you hear echoing voices. Um, you he can hear like if they're out playing. Sometimes he can hear like what sounds like his younger brother's voice, except his younger brother is like, you know, behind him, but this one sounds like it's coming in front of him. And it sometimes it sounds like it's right behind him, but his, his brother is like totally far away. Like there's a lot of questioning, like, what am I hearing? What am I seeing? Um, it's very atmospheric. Um, and so, and then you realize that this town, well, there, and then the two things about the town, one, um, they have a an an annual harvest festival, which right away is a bad sign. Any small <laughs> northern English village with a harvest festival, this is like full on Wicker Man type of thing. Like this, I, like as soon as they are talking about, they have this the the um part of it that they call the blood harvest, where they sacrifice livestock and then they have a bonfire. I'm like, this is such a bad idea. No, um, so they have a harvest festival. Um, and then there has also been a history over the last 10 years of small, um, small children going missing or showing, or showing up dead. Like, I think there are three children about the same age between like two and four that have disappeared and then turned up dead or have just flat out disappeared. So there's kind of this history of children disappearing and a really sinister kind of old, slightly pagan-ish harvest festival. Um, and it is so creepy. Um, but the, the reason why I picked this book for this discussion about disabled characters, um, it's not a detective procedural. Um, the two main adults who are kind of at the heart of the story, not that they're not part of the Fletcher family. There's Harry, who is the new, um, who is the new vicar for that, um, uh that area i don't i don't know what the correct term is um but he he's like the he's like the new priest they're reopening the church um he's he's presiding over the church in that area um and then there's evie um or i think that's how you pronounce her name evie she is a psychologist um or a psychiatrist and she gets to know um she kind of she practices in the area um, and a couple of her clients come from, come from that area. They have direct ties to the things that have happened in the village. She becomes the psychiatrist for Tom, the, the oldest child in the Fletcher family, because his parents don't believe him when he says he's been seeing this little ghost child, like coming in and out of the house and playing around in the gravestones in the moors. Um, so she, she talks with him, but, um, she had, she suffered, um, nerve damage in a, a car accident, I think a few, a few years previously. Um, and it's severe enough where she has to, 
Um, she has to use a walking stick. Um, sometimes she uses a wheelchair. Um, but like you, like Rincey, like you said, it's, um, it does like the, the, her, her physical pain and her, and her disability. It's, it may not directly tie into the mystery, but it, it affects her to where it limits to, it limits what she can do. Um, and to the, you know, places that she can go, ways that she can interact with people, because she, she says that, you know, she can only stay standing for, you know, short, short time periods. Um, it's always something that, that she has to be aware of. And so the reader has to, the reader's aware of it as well. Um, so it's, um, yeah, it, it's very, it's very much, um, part of who she is but also because it's it's a recent injury she's still kind of adapting to to how to move through the world with um with this pain that um in her in her legs that prevents her from walking freely um there are a couple there are a couple there are a couple moments in the story where she and the um she and the and the vicar um start up a uh kind of they have a romantic connection um and they're 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 i don't know if this will come into play later in the story but he he seem like his character seems very insistent on like if she says no i'm fine he's he seems insistent on like a sit helping her anyway um which i which i know can be can be frustrating for people who do have disabilities like if they say i'm fine i don't need assistance and then people then then they feel like infantilized because someone you know insists on doing things for them that they are perfectly capable of doing um i so i'm i was like uh, I, don't, I don't know how this feels it's kind of it's a little it feels a little you know guy rides up on a rides up on a white horse to you know save the stubborn the stubborn woman um from pushing herself too hard so, so some elements of it i'm i'm a little mm, you can't see my face but i feel like that noise kind of kind of expresses what my face looks like it's like mm, i don't know we'll see um but these moments are they they're not pervasive they don't affect the rest of the story which is hey there's some really creepy stuff going on in this town that seems to be centered around this this family, the Fletchers, and this Harvest Festival. Um, so yes, it is super creepy. I am loving it to pieces. I fully intend to finish it in the next day or two. I was actually very sad that I was not able to read longer last night. And I was sad that I had to wake up early and go to the DMV this morning because I didn't have a chance to read before I went to work. So I am hoping to finish um, to finish this up soon. And again, that is Blood Harvest by S.J. Bolton. Um, although if you get a copy of it now, it may say Sharon Bolton because I think they've reissued some of her older books with her full name. All right. So um, if you guys have any suggestions of books that you guys have read that feature disabled characters, definitely feel free to let us know about them because as always, we're always looking for um, more books that featured uh, voices that aren't covered very often in media. Um, so definitely tweet at us, email us, let us know if there are any others. Um, and we would be very excited to read them, especially if they come with a good recommendation. 
All right. So with that, I am going to jump into new releases for this week. Um, so the first one on the list has gotten thumbs up from several uh, Book Riot mystery readers um, that said it's really interesting. Um, so I'm super excited to get a chance to read this one. This is called My Lovely Wife by Samantha Downing. Um, that comes out uh, today or it will be out by the time you listen to the show. Um, it's described as Dexter meets Mr. and Mrs. Smith, which honestly is, that feels like relationship goals to me. <laughs> <laughs> Blaine and I frequently, when we, when we watch, like, if we watch Hannibal or we watch, like, scary movies, we'll just look at each other and we'll be like, those who slay together, stay together. Oh, no. <laughs> So I feel like this could be the tagline for this book. So it is a wildly compulsive debut thriller about a couple whose 15-year marriage has finally gotten too interesting. And so from the perspective of one of the people, our love story is simple. I met a gorgeous woman. We fell in love. We had kids. We moved to the suburbs. We told each other our biggest dreams and our darkest secrets. And then we got bored. We look like a normal couple. We're your neighbors, the parents of your kid's friend, the acquaintances you keep meaning to get dinner with. We all have our secrets to keeping a marriage alive. Ours just happens to be getting away with murder. I'm like, oh, yes. So that's all I'm going to say about that book. Um, That is My Lovely Wife by Samantha Downing. And next, we have the next uh, book in the series by Vivian Chien, um, her cozy mystery series that um, around her family's Chinese restaurant. So this one is called Murder Lo Main by Viv- Vivian Chien. Lana Lee's stake in her family's Chinese restaurant is higher than ever now that she's been made manager. So when she enters Ho Lee into Cleveland's Best Noodle Contest, Lana makes it her business to win at all costs. But when a local food critic receives a threatening note in a fortune cookie and is later found dead face down in a bowl of lo mein, all bets are off. Now, along with her sweet and sour boyfriend, oh boy, Detective Adam Trudeau, Lana decides to take matters into her own hands and dig into the lives of everyone involved in the contest. But when she receives an ill-fated fortune, Lana realizes that in order to save the reputation of her restaurant, she needs to save herself first. Oh boy, sweet and sour boyfriend. (laughs) I'm just going to interrupt here really quickly and say, as as someone who's read the first first book in this series, sweet and sour boyfriend is both hilarious and also kind of accurate for this character. Okay, so it's not just a terrible pun. <laughs> it is a ter- yeah, it's it is a terrible pun, but he is kind of a sweet and sour guy. <laughs> At least it's accurate. Yes. Oh lord. Okay, so this I think this is the third book in the series. Yeah, I think so. Okay, so this is Murder Low Main by Vivian Chen. Um this book is now available to purchase. Um, and then uh, we'll jump into some historical true crime uh, with Murder by the Book, The Crime That Shocked Dickens' London by Claire Harmon. Um, this book is also um, available now. From the acclaimed, from an acclaimed biographer, the fascinating little-known story of a Victorian-era murder that rocked literary London, leading Charles Dickens, William Thackeray, and Queen Victoria herself to wonder, can a novel kill? In May 1840, Lord William Russell, well-known in London's highest social circles, was found with his throat cut. The brutal murder had the whole city talking. The police suspected Russell's valet, Courvoisier, but the evidence was weak. The missing clue, it turned out, lay in the unlikeliest place. 
what Courvoisier had been reading. In the years just before the murder, new printing methods that had made books cheap and abundant, the novel form was on the rise and suddenly everyone was reading. The best-selling titles were the most sensational true crime stories. Even Dickens and Thackeray, both at the beginning of their careers, fell under the spell of these tales. Dickens publicly admiring them, Thackeray rejecting them, and one such phenomenon was William Harrison Ainsworth's Jack Shepard, the story of an unrepentant criminal who escaped the gallows time and again. When Lord William's murderer finally confessed his guilt, he would cite this novel in his defense. Murder by the Book combines this thrilling true crime story with an illuminating account of the rise of the novel form and the battle for its early soul among the most famous writers of the time. It is superbly researched, vividly written, and captivating from first to last. So this is like historical true crime for book so for book nerds, which is, I think, pretty much everyone who's listening to this podcast. So <laughs> there you go. Um, so again, that is Murder by the Book, The Crime That Shocked Dickens London by Claire Harmon. And then finally, we have The Spectators by Jennifer, I don't know if it's Dubois or Dubois. She wrote Cartwheel a few years ago. That's the book I know her from. Um, but this book comes out on April 2nd. A shocking crime triggers a media firestorm for a controversial talk show host in this provocative novel. A story of redemption, a nostalgic portrait of New York City, and a searing indictment of our culture of spectacle. Uh, Matthew Miller is the talk show host who has made his fame by shining a spotlight on the most unlikely and bizarre secrets of society, exposing them on live TV in front of millions of gawking viewers. However, the man behind the Maddie M. show remains a mystery both to his enormous audience and to those who work alongside him every day. But when the high school students responsible for a mass shooting are found to be devoted fans of his, Maddie is thrust into the glare of public scrutiny seen as the ride-detached herald of a culture going downhill and going way too far. Soon the secrets of Maddie's past as a brilliant young politician in a crime-ridden New York City begin to push their way to the surface. Um, This is... Also set during, it says, uh, portrays the heyday of gay liberation in the 70s, the grip of the AIDS crisis in the 80s, alongside a a backstage view of 90s TV in an age of moral panic. So it seems to be a wide, uh, wide spanning uh, story. Uh, Explores an enigmatic man's downfall through the perspectives of two spectators, um, Cell, Maddie's skeptical publicist, and Semi, the disillusioned lover from his past. Um, so this, um, so yeah, this sounds, this sounds like very much like a literary suspense crime novel. Um, it examines the human capacity for reinvention and forces us to ask ourselves what we choose to look at and why. So again, that is The Spectators by Jennifer Dubois or Dubois, and that comes out on April 2nd. All right. Um, so just to wrap things up to talk about what we've been reading or what we plan on reading, I don't have very much of an update because I have not been reading very much lately, um, like in general. So and that includes mystery books. So I don't have anything to talk about that I've finished recently. Um, I currently have what feels like a million books out from the library. And so I should probably read some of these. Um, so one of the books that is you know do sooner so I should probably prioritize that one is Ask Me No Questions by Shelley Noble. This is the first book in the Lady Dunbridge mystery series which is a relatively new historical mystery series. It um, is set in early 1900s Manhattan. Um, I don't know a whole lot about it other than it also includes something about horse racing. (laughs) 
So that's about all I have going into it. But I feel like if if it's a good historical mystery, then I feel like that'll be a good one for me to pick up um, because I think I want something on the lighter, funner side. I also have the Frangipani Tree Mystery um, by uh, Ovidia Yu. That one is also due relatively soon, so I should probably uh, read that one. Um, but that's another historical mystery that is set in 19... 30 Singapore. Um, so those are the two that I am leaning towards picking up relatively soon because I think I want a lighter mystery to read right now. Yeah, and for me, I'm recovering from recording all the books with Liberty this weekend. Oh my gosh, I had time to read all these books and yet I still had left it to like the last week, so I'm still reeling a little bit. Um, but um, I yeah, I I'm not sure exactly what I'm going to be starting next. Um I am going well, um at my new uh librarian position, I am in charge of the adult fiction collection, which means that not only do I not only am do I manage what books get purchased for the collection, but also the, you know, the ones that go out on the new mystery and suspense shelves go through my hands first. That's amazing. I know. I When I found out I was in charge of the adult fiction collection, you should have seen my eyes. I, they just lit up. I was like, you have got to be kidding me. And then Blaine goes, this is too much power for one person. <laughs> Um, so basically I get, I mean, there are other factors that go into purchasing books for a library's collection, but this library does have a fair number of mystery readers. So I get to pick a lot of the mystery novels that I've been meaning to read as well, that other people are interested in, and they pass through my hands first. And now they, um, and then when we get boxes of advanced reader copies from our vendor that we purchase books from, they now come straight to me because most of them are fiction. So now I'm getting boxes of ARCs just d dumped on my desk like once or twice a week. Um, so, um, yeah, I've got a few stacked on my desk already. <laughs> that I'm planning on, on squirreling home at some point. Um, but I'm just not sure what I'm going to be reading yet. Um, on all the books I mentioned, uh, picking up, uh, the, the trial of Lizzie Borden, because I do have, um, I do have an advanced copy of that, even though it's already been published. But anyway, um, I might pick that up. I might not. I honestly don't know. I am so, I am so brain fried right now. <laughs> I just don't know. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll have to see. Um, uh, hopefully I will have finished at least one or two books by next episode. <laughs> That's always the goal. Yeah, well, that's always the mystery of next episode. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, um, <laughs> that's our show. Thanks so much to everyone for listening. For show notes, you can head over to bookriot.com slash listen. We'll have links to the articles we talked about at the top of the show, as well as links to all of the books that we've mentioned on the episode. If you enjoyed the podcast, definitely leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, so that way other people can discover us. Um, if you are interested in sending us show ideas or questions or anything along those lines, you can feel free to email us. Our email address is redordead at bookriot.com. Otherwise, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram. I am at Rincy A. And I am on Twitter at KT underscore library lady. And we will talk to you guys next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.